Rye Russell of Not Plastic, thank you so much for being with us on Hemp Barons today. It is an honor, Joy. I am so excited and thank you so much. Brother, the honor is ours. You are doing some of the most innovative, exciting things in hemp. Now, we all know the many, many uses for this plant, and and regular listeners hear me give out that laundry list every day. But when we really talk about taking the the plastics, the biocomposite world by storm, uh, we're really talking about a tremendous environmental impact uh, on the planet. And I, I consider the work that you and Not Plastic are doing to be some of the most important work that's happening right now in hemp innovation. So tell us, lay it on us, brother. How did you come to hemp? Wow, Joy, thank you so much. Those are amazing words, and I promise I am trying to live up to them every day. Uh, We have been working for uh, about four years now to really refine what not plastic is as a brand and as a mission, you know, what are we going to make as a finished good and products and what can we introduce to the world? But before all of that joy, I was just a little drive-in guy. I had left university and I took over the, one of the nation's oldest drive-in movie theaters. And it, what really hit me, and, and it was an amazing experience and I, and I loved it. But one of the things that I noticed was the amount of single-use plastics cluttering the the parking area. And we had about nine acres of parking. So when you think of 500 vehicles and when you charge by the carload, it's families and friends and neighborhoods and everything that you would expect a drive-in to be, we were. And that also meant so much waste at the end of the night. And it was a job. There was a real position. Two individuals every day were in charge of cleaning the lot. And at first, it was very easy for me to blame the community to blame the individuals that were coming to this beautiful theater that I was really trying to to do everything to save. And now I have to employ people to clean up the lot. So as a 22-year-old entrepreneur, I was I was growing frustrated, but because I've always considered myself a mad scientist of sorts, there's a social science here, and then there's the ecological science, and then there's the chemical science. The social science was that I concluded it's not their fault. These are not bad people. They're beautiful people. These are parents. These are people that have brought life into this world that are busy as hell. And I was able to provide four hours of a total escape from reality. Now, not only did I change my mindset, it became my duty to pick up that trash. It became the responsibility of the theater to make that not their problem because I wanted them to only have to worry about packing up the sleeping baby at the end of the night and quietly getting that child into their car seat so they could quietly drive that child home and put them to their own bed. And it just became, okay, 
this is a duty of, of the drive-ins to create this environment where we totally serve our customer and we create this environment for them that's entirely tailored for them. And so I just started wrapping my brain around what the solution could possibly be because we need these products. Like we need vessels to transfer liquids and beverages at a very low cost from my concession stand to this individual's car. That needs to happen. And so we needed to look at plastics ecologically as not a bad thing. How do we make these things not a bad thing? And that's where the chemical science comes in. And so, you know, for me, right, like I'm this uneducated simpleton that has the bravado to call myself a mad scientist because these are the disciplines that I needed to study and I needed to understand before starting Not Plastic and the mission that we're on. And so I wanted to share that with you, Joy, because I think it helps people understand that, yes, there are plastic pollution problems. And so much of that is caused by really good people. And so we need to find better ways as an industry and as industries to make our trash just have a less of an impact on this world. And that went down a rabbit hole for years of just maniacal research to the point of, of utter exhaustion, but I knew there had to be a way. And to be honest, Joy, we're still dialing in that way. All the there's no there's no being honest about it, brother. You're at the cutting edge of innovation. You'll be dialing in for some time. But at the same time, you've already got stuff going on. Viable, amazing products going on. For those listening, I want to crunch this for you. This is a bag made almost entirely out of corn. And it is just as rigid just as strong as a standard grocery bag that, that you get at your store. And this can be composted in your backyard. This can, and please do not. And this is something that I find interesting because we say things are biodegradable. That means that we're encouraging uh, pollution. No, no. We're just saying that if you're one of those people that are really, really good and you accidentally forgot something, then it should remove itself from this earth. And so that's what we mean in terms of biodegradable. This will break down in the natural environment. It does not need extreme conditions to break this material down. And I'm also holding in my hand, and, and for the audience, I can't wait for them to, to connect Joy so they can see some of these images on my socials, but I'm, I'm holding the first ever not plastic golf tee, and this is made with corn and hemp. And I love this product because it's, it, it's so far away from being commercially ready. At the same token, I can go hit a golf ball off these today. Aren't they wonderful? We and we, uh, you know, and 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 only because we we always honor on this show, of course, uh, Marklin Day, who created the first three D printed hemp and corn golf tees, and may he rest in peace, brother. Um, and thank goodness for Rye Russell and Not Plastic to come along and really take it to a whole so far beyond three D. And here you are again. The listeners can't see, but I can. see 
see uh, Rye as we are as we're taping here, and he's got the filament. He's got the hemp corn filament for that. And and before we go on too, I, I just want to paint the picture, and you did such a great job of it, of of really the imagining the amount of waste that is collected with 500 cars at a drive-in. And then we, if, if we extrapolate or we play out that scenario to the NFL football stadium and the Rolling Stones concert venue and the giant mega conferences in Las Vegas, we are, we're really talking about an exponential increase in that waste. And, and with that, keep on going, Rye. Tell us more, brother. Well, and think of the, the the European football stadiums. You're talking hundreds of thousands of individuals tailgating and attending those events. And it is, it's all around us. And, and the more that we are aware, I, I borrowed some inhaler cartridges uh, from individuals with asthma to see if we can, if there's products in medical applications that are relatively single use, because for example, most rescue inhalers are good for a year or two, and they're probably going to be kept in a bag or a suitcase. So the environmental conditions would not really be there to break it down. And so what we're trying to do is we're trying to look at the, the world. And what we said is there's a minimum of 6,000 applications utilizing single-use polyethylene and all petrochemical-based solutions. And so much of that, again, not all of it, and this is where me and some other entrepreneurs differ. There are some very practical and rational uses for a petrochemical-based plastic. Unfortunately, that's just the case in the reality, but not everything. And so we need to choose wisely what we're doing, because what I do not want to be guilty of, and it could very well happen is what I don't want to do is I don't want to make something for the sake of making it. And I feel like we've been doing that for so many years. Huh. I still have a Humpty Dumpty container potato chips from the 60s that is my grandmother used, my mother used, and I've used. And so my philosophy is that when I make a pre-roll tube, why can this not be used for sugar? or single serving candies, or beads for the arts and crafts world. And so I, I just challenge people that on top of, and, and I'm so grateful that we're having these conversations now, but on top of sustainability, the inputs of a product, the disposal of a product, how about the necessity of the product? Like, why is it made? You know, and that's something I've been joking around with my friends. I love the show, How It's Made. And either you and me, Joy, or somebody out there needs to produce why it's made because Ugh. we produce so much crap. And that and those days are over. And, and in fact, in terms of it being ever more completely evident and in our face. Um, and, and even as we talk about these large events, right, with COVID, which we, we talk about, you know, getting back to normal when the, then when the question is, is that the normal we want to get back to? And I say, no, I say, no, it is not. And we need to absolutely be asking ourselves, why is it being made? I love it, Rye, I love it. Keep preaching, brother, let's keep going. Pharmaceuticals, 
Like, this is, I'm holding a standard allergy medication container. And everybody has taken some sort of generic over-the-counter medication before. There's 70% air in the container. So why can't the container with 70 tablets also hold 100 tablets or 140 tablets? Why do we need that percentage of air? And taking up those materials, I great logical question there. And and by the way, I am going to take this quick moment as we move on with these fantastic examples to say that my brother from Maine, like me, uh, you're very humble talking about your your drive drive-in career, um, which uh, which of course was quite the quite the upper management ownership career. Am I right? I mean, yeah, this is a, you're an entrepreneur, brother, who went to Harvard Business school. So, so thank you for your humility. But be, but but between Harvard and the fact that we all know that Maine is are the smartest, you know, in the in the nation here. That- oh, what you can't get there from here, Joy. <laughs> Keep going with some of these awesome examples, brother. <laughs> well, you know, so these are the things that like truly keep a maniacal person up at night. Like these aren't fun things to think about, but there are individuals thinking about it. And I have just, I have felt so fortunate. Uh, And and you're right, you know, with the drive-in, I mean, I was just a silly kid that wanted to drop out of college and needed an excuse to do so. (laughs) And, you know, when my teachers were so supportive, my parents, uh, that was... I'll never forget. I took three. I left the withdrawal slip on the desk, uh, on the kitchen uh, table. And I left for three days uh, waiting for them to reach out. And uh, I was deathly afraid of their response. And uh, my grandmother, uh, who was just my best friend, the love of my life, uh, you know, she was there and I'll never forget, you know, my parents, you know, invited her over because they knew that if she said it, it would be law. And uh, when she told me that, you know, my grandfather would say that these are the things you have to do and this is the time that you have to do it. You know, momentum is here. You're young and and you've got to make this leap. I I mean, that kind of support from from my grandmother and from my parents, it allowed me to do all of this stuff. And that's really, you know, the the blessing of of all of it and and the humbleness is I didn't do any of this alone. And And I'm still not. Is that... You know, I was a broke college kid. I had to hustle $80,000, $500 at a time to get started. And, you know, I think a lot of people think that you you can flip those successes um, and then and then you then you lead, run into something like not plastic and, and you're not prepared for anything like this. You're not prepared for the hemp industry. Uh, you know, and I thought coming out of the film industry that I tested, like I went through some battles and, you know, I, I picked some fights with some really big people. And I thought getting into the hemp space, like I had that, you know, I'm ready to take on the world. And I mean, the entrepreneurs in this space, like, how can you not be humble when in this industry, like I'm nothing, there's people that have given their life 
for this plant. And the least that I can do is implement it into the things that I'm working on that play a significant role in healing the world. Because you nailed it. When we come out of this pandemic, we didn't go into it because the world was in a good place. And I use the example that my mother, who's been in, in hospitals and in the medical field most of her life, always said to me whenever I got sick and it was rare that I did, but she would say, your body's trying to tell you something. You need to take a break. Like, don't go down the path that you're going down. Well, the world told us all that a little over a year ago. And are we now just listening? I don't know. I hope not. But I don't want to go back to normal because the world was pissed. It was upset and, and ill. And within two weeks of really the, the no fly or the, or the stopping of the flying to, to a major degree, we started to see, right, the air pollution clear up. We started to see water pollution. Within two weeks, quantifiable, visible reduction in pollution. And we are not going back here, brother. And that brings me to some lessons that I would really love for you to share with our audience. And that is, we have, most folks have a sort of a misguided oversimplification. We're using, throwing the term plastic around like we know what it means. Could we talk about plastic versus composites? And then, and then maybe talk about uh, uh, some examples of that and where you would put cellophane and i've got a couple more questions after that but i i've already i've grabbed you with a few here composites plastic cellophane and then we could get into i want to really get into the services that you provide including and i cannot wait to take advantage of this i mean i cannot wait injection molding go brother i love it so the most fundamental explanation and understanding of what plastics are is they're just compounds of mostly organic materials that can then be turned into a product that takes on certain quote-unquote characteristics because there's so many different types of plastic. Oh man, I'm nerding out. There's so many different types of plastics that they all hold so many different characteristics. And one of the things, and before I talk about composites, one of the things that gets me so excited is that I think all of us science-minded entrepreneurs, we think that we have the world's answers. But like the real scientists really know that they have no answers. And so for me, what's been most interesting is all of these polymer scientists that find these different types of plastics and these different alternatives think that they've struck gold and that they've you know solved the world's issues. The problem is there's 80 characteristics of plastics that need to be changed and we need to find an alternative for those applications. And so let's just take a round number as 100. There's 100 different types of plastics. Well, most polymer scientists that have found an alternative, their alternative only fixes maybe three to seven, a handful or two of the characteristics that need to be converted. And not plastic comes in because what we say is we're dumb. We're so stupid that we need to play with everybody's polymers because we're not that bright. Our polymer will only fix seven to 12 different characteristics depending on the composites and depending on how it's compounded. And so what we said is we were very quick to call ourselves stupid. 
And we were very quick to say, oh, wow, we don't have the world's answers. We have an answer to play a small part in what the world's problems are. And so composites and compounding looks like taking some of these base plastic polymers that take different characteristics, and then you compound them with other types of materials. Now, one can be hemp and hemp fiber. Now, sugars and cellulose are virtually the same no matter where it's extracted from. And so utilizing hemp or corn, again, is going to come down to an application per application. But one thing that can be done very easily and truly removes plastic from your finished good is compounding. So if you have a polymer and you just kind of think of, of putting it into some sort of vat almost, like in the craft brewing industry, how they would do it almost. And you get it to temperature, you melt it, and you introduce these different fibers. And it can be anything. It can be hemp, it can be corn, it can be grapes, uh, virtually almost any material with the right process. It could even be, be the hulls of the hemp seed, am I right? It absolutely can. It okay. certainly can. And there's, well, well, we get it. There's all kinds of things that it can be. And so the answer is that really there has to be some sort of binding agent in there as well, right? You want these, this product to take some sort of rigid form at the end. Uh, so you know, there's all of these different types of, of PLA and biodegradable plastics and biodegradable PETs. I mean, there are petrochemicals uh, that you can introduce the correct enzymatic formula and it it will biodegrade and break down in the right environments. And so it's just, there's what we tell everybody is you tell us the goals. What are you looking for? Because biodegradable is a great word, but does that make sense for your application? Compostable is a brilliant way to dispose of a product. Is it the right way to dispose of yours? Because, Joy, I'm sure you see this on LinkedIn all the time. There's those, uh, you know, those uh, LinkedIn warriors there that are always ready to, to fight and to discredit uh, what everybody else is doing. And nine times out of ten, I'm right there to follow up and say, well, actually, you're wrong. Uh, for the application that they've described and the way that they expect the use and disposal of the product, they're spot on. Now, we don't know that if that's going to be the way it gets consumed or not, but we do not have to attack everybody for attempting to make a solution. And so what we need to do is we need to look at what are the actual degradation goals? Is this product going to hold a liquid? Then you don't want something that's going to biodegrade in eight weeks. You want something that's going to last maybe 27 weeks, maybe 50 weeks. I don't know what you need, but what we do recommend to our manufacturing partners is maybe adopt some lean processes and a little bit better forecasting. And now we can dial in the degradation of your product. And so we really need to know what the finished use is going to be what the expected and desired degradation is going to be. And then we can write the formula to match all of those characteristics. Now, what I do caution people is that as much as we can get as close to the perfect answer as possible, there is no perfect answer. And the reason being, exactly in that example of the bottle, I cannot tell 
a manufacturing partner when that bottle should degrade. Now, they also need to communicate to their retail partners, their distribution partners, and the customer when this bottle could actually become a liability in terms of its use in its shelf space. So we have to be so careful and so cautious. And now, I want to walk this and say, that does not mean, and that is not an excuse for industrial friends to not start thinking about this. I'm here. Joy's going to tell you how to connect. And a not plastic company is going to be thinking about this. I don't need you to have the answer, but I need you to start having the conversation. And then we can have the real conversation on a practical timeline to accomplish those goals. Because if you tell me that you're going to be a green company and you're going to be carbon neutral in 24 months, you're a liar. Or, or you simply have unrealistic expectations and goals set for yourself and your company. And you're going to disappoint yourself, your investors, and your customers. Mm-hmm. And so we just have to be honest. Like, And I think that's the thing is there's so many people are trying to be first that it doesn't, they don't care if they're right or not. They just want to go trademark something. They want to go license something. And what one thing that we really stand for, and it maybe it's to my detriment, but I cannot, like the reason we created this company and the reason we did it when we did was because we all needed to be in a position where like this company can stand on its own, where it can have its own legs. It can have its own personality outside of me because God forbid, if I die tomorrow, this still needs to operate. And, you know, there needs to be protocols and SOPs in place that our mission to at least play a small part in saving the world from this plastic pollution problem. Uh, We've got to be deliberate. Absolutely. And and that's where consumer education comes down right to it. Um, you know, we've got to, it's amazing to me how even some critical thinkers take their critical thinking hat off when it comes to any form of cannabis, including hemp. And I say, please, that's exactly when you need to keep your critical thinking hat back on. And so again, with these claims and with frankly, fraud that goes on and, and so on and so forth, we want educated consumers who ask proper questions um, and use their dollars uh, where those dollars belong. We vote with them every day. We empower companies that are doing good and we empower companies that are not doing good, meaning doing bad to the world, not healing the world, actually harming the world, harming our bodies with those dollars. So it's just so incredibly important. And and if we could talk for a few minutes here about the sort of existing product line, so to speak, and, and services that Not Plastic offers, and that's from food service solution to packaging for the hemp uh, and, and the cannabis industry and, and multiple industries um, and bags, your plastic bags, and the injection molding services. Could you sort of go through each of those offerings? I'd love to. I'm excited to. So right now we are commercially ready for 
full bag production. So whether that is dog waste bags, grocery bags, we need to increase capacity for large volume trash bags. So like the 30 gallon and the 50 gallon, but the grocery store bags, the t-shirt bags and smaller, those are, those are ready and cranking. Um, And now what we're really excited for is, is our injection molding offerings. And we're going about this in two ways, because Again, kind of going back to the drive-in industry, my advantage was I had no legacy there. I saw what was missing and I saw what the consumer wanted. And getting into the plastics industry, same thing. I Being a customer of trying to research and trying to develop and trying to work with companies, what I realized is that there was a huge opportunity, not just in bioplastics, but in plastics to help prototyping and to help bring ideas to life because there's so many entrepreneurs and there's so many brilliant ideas. The problem is the cost of prototyping in this space is astronomical. And so we were so delayed in testing new ideas, one, because of the vulnerability of co-manufacturers, which we are taking back and we're bringing in-house, and just the cost of tooling and prototyping. And so what we're doing is we've put together uh, a $10,000 package that will allow people to come to us with their ideas. Of course, NDAs, and you know, we, we tell everybody, you know, we, we provide the polymer and the manufacturing, so we want you to have your ideas. Um, but you know, we are more than happy to, and we invite you to send us an NDA, talk about the goals that we discussed today. What's the product that you're looking to make? What is the degradation goals? Uh, And just what are your total goals for this as a business? And then what we can do is we have found a very efficient and rapid way to build pre-production molds, which will virtually be, and Joy, you you can see it, you know, the golf tee that, you know, I, I have made and posted online, it's not you know, polished and beautiful and going to go on a retail shelf, but it's usable and functional. And this would show an investor what the product is going to be. And so what we wanted to do is we wanted to empower innovators to have a solution where they can prototype and they can test ideas for $10,000 rather than $30,000 for a mold and then $5,000 in minimum polymer required. And, and that's and that's been my understanding with it is there's so much upfront cost just in making the mold for yes. the idea. So this is this is the type of cooperation and what I would say I guess innovation and economic permaculture that I dream of that this is your this is an incredibly valuable service uh not just as a service for entrepreneurs and businesses frankly of every size and shape um but uh but in terms of advancing innovative ideas that would not otherwise have an opportunity to advance hallelujah that's it like we were held so back joy by the, and, and part of it's by design, because the, you and I both know this, and this isn't, you know, conspiracy. This is, this is capitalism. And we appreciate this to a point, but there's so much greed and knowledge. And so this is where we hold us accountable. So when I got into this space and I wanted to 
test, let's say the filament, right? This, this truly, this type of product, like it had, like you had said, it had only been done by two or three people before us. And so there was not a lot of data to go on about how to actually do it right and make it so it can be used as a, as a prototyping type uh, input. And it took so much time to dial in that application because industries designed to make competition harder to get into. But now, those of us that know the laws of economics and the laws of efficiency, there's no better time than 2020. And so when we broke in and I got, I, it literally just came down to a day. I just got pissed. I got so mad. I wanted to show more products. I didn't want to have to buy a half a million dollar machine to make 10 different sizes of bags. Like I wanted to make things. And so I was getting so frustrated when everybody I talked to, oh, 75,000 to even get started, 150,000 to even talk to us, to even the small prototyping labs, 25, 35,000. And I have ideas, Joy, you know this. Like I have idea, I can't pay $30,000 an idea. And so it just came out of frustration. And I know product developers across the world. And I knew that if I could solve this problem, then I could make money while I try to solve these bigger ones. Because we have to fuel the engine to, to run and operate the machine that's sharing love with the world. But that engine still has to run and it still requires inputs. And so what I needed to do is I needed to get clever. And so I looked at some of the entrepreneurs around the world that are actually doing things to move the world forward. And I'm like, how do they do that and make money? Like you have to make money in order to do that. And so I looked at Elon Musk about how he's working in all of these ways to provide a superior service in some ways to then fund the fun things that are innovating and, and moving the world forward. And that's when it hit me. Shit. The industry and the plastics industry is missing out. We are losing brilliant entrepreneurs that don't have $50,000 to tell people their idea. So what can we do? We can create a process that for $10,000, not only can you tell us your idea, you can show off your idea. And there's nothing that gets investors more excited than holding a physical product. So now for 10 grand instead of 50, you can get a bioplastic prototype of your application. Uh, in almost, in you know, so many different applications fit that criteria that I am so excited and enjoy. Thank you for allowing me to kind of plug that because this really is, you know, as exciting and as innovative as we are in the bioplastics. It's these processes that get me so excited because I think only an outsider could have figured it out because the insiders make it so hard on purpose. All three cherries on that slot machine, brother. That's what I'm telling you here. I mean, this is so empowering. I'm, I, you're a for-profit company, but it's like the 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 advocacy, the advocate in me, and the and the the 20 year old in me that existed 31 years ago, <laughs> um, who has 
such a vision for the world and knows just the incredible amount of brilliance uh, that is out there, the amount of brilliance that's coming out of literally villages in South Africa, brother. So it's a public service. I'm going with public service to be able to do this. And thank you for, frankly, I'll just say it, undermining the monopolistic strategies of capitalism that keep good ideas down while harmful ideas that don't allow any advancement sort of rule the day. Those days are over and, and not plastic is really such a huge part of that. And, and let's talk for a second as we, as we sort of come into the end of our time here, because there's so much, and, and you really hit the nail on the head when you talk the forks, the knives, the cups, the vessel that takes that food from, and, and we're seeing a lot of that even in COVID. And that's something that may not change. And that is takeout food, right? So let's talk about uh, your food service solutions, if we could. Yeah, so we're really excited. And again, I'm a, I was a germaphobe before the pandemic started. And so single use plastics have never been lost on me as a sanitary necessity. And again, why is it made? You know, does everything, is everything fall under that category? No, it doesn't. Uh, but you're right. There are a lot of applications now and we need to be very conscious of that. And I don't, again, I don't think that's something that needed to happen. You know, the pandemic, you know, made that happen. I think these are things that need to happen. You know, we do share diseases, COVID or not, uh, you know, through just normal talking every day. And so we are going to be covering more food-based products with more plastic. And so we need to make sure that it's the right kind. And, you know, we, we are providing solutions now. We've got a straw machine on the way. We're really excited about that. Uh, so I'm going down, uh, taking a trip this week to go look at a couple uh, and make a final decision. Uh, and then we're working with some, and I've had some really good ideas come towards us. And, and please, if you're listening, never hesitate to reach out to me on LinkedIn or anywhere else with an idea because you never know where that idea might go. But there are some amazing companies around the country right now that are looking at solving this problem, Joy. And the reason that I'm interested in some of those partnerships and solutions is because I'll make it, but I need help getting it back and making sure it ends up where it's supposed to. Now, again, this is this can be composted in your home, but so many metros, those homes are too small. And they don't have composters. And so if we can work regionally with strategic partners to that have relationships with restaurateurs and other food service type establishments, then what is very strategic for us is to look at one, collective buying agreements. Can we work with restaurants in locales where maybe one of their waste management partners wants to partner up with us? Because I tell everybody, after I come for the petroleum industry and the plastics industry, I'm calling you out. I'm coming for waste management because there's also so many inefficiencies there that are deliberate and is part of these two industries. It's like separation of church and state. The plastics industry should have no holds on the waste management industry. And so that's just something that we talk about all the time. But if we can find the right partners, the right restaurateurs, the right buying agents, and the, white, the right waste management partners, 
there's so much we can do thinking hyper regionally. So any entrepreneurs out there, you know, reach out because it is, it's going to take an army. This is a battle to save the world. And this is again, just more economic, environmental and entrepreneurial permaculture, you know, hemp. And I always love to give Bob Hoban, one of my favorite attorneys uh, and advocates in hemp internationally credit when I use the term coopetition. Uh, this is really the epitome of hemp inspiring uh, coopetition, not competition, cooperation. Let's make our worlds, our businesses, our environment, our customers, our communities happier with higher quality, better performing more healing uh, products and and services, so it's just fantastic. And I and I can't help but see here and and recite the, some of the statistics that are on your site. And folks, please, you go to mjbulls.com, get to the Hemp Baron Show, and we'll give you every way to uh, look at what Ryan is doing, what Ryan is doing with not plastic. And and here are some of the statistics just on these consumer goods, frankly, in the food service industry. So 100 million plastic utensils a day, 275 million plastic bags a day, 330 million plastic cups a day, 500 million plastic straws per day. And we are talking about the United States alone, not the entire planet Earth. In walks Rye Russell and not plastic to come battle this warrior through this challenge that we have. And certainly it's not a challenge that we can't overcome. Ryan, I, I just can't thank you enough again for the work that you do. I can't wait to do some of this work with you. I got me some ideas and you have absolutely made it a, a cost effective for mere mortals like myself to be able to explore those and potentially change the world and have a significant impact on our community, our state, our nation, our planet with those ideas. The services and the products that you provide, Rye, the inspiration, the platform just absolutely tremendous really the best of hemp and i can't wait to have you back on the show brother thank you so much joy it was a, a real honor it's always inspiring and encouraging to speak with you because you've got the love you've got the love for your for your brothers and sisters of this world and you've got the love for the planet so i'm sending all of my love to you to your audience and just so much gratitude for being here today Thank you, brother, because when we got that kind of energy going on, two plus two is five and not in a fake news kind of way, in a synergy kind of way. Rye, thank you so much again, brother. Stay healthy and we'll see you again soon. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. I'm Joyce Gerber, the creator and host of the award-winning podcast, The Canna Mom Show. And we are on a mission to enhance the impact women have on this industry as business professionals, healthcare providers, policy advocates, caregivers, moms, by sharing and preserving their stories of love and kindness, wisdom, and hope. I am so grateful to have found my tribe of Canada podcasters right here on PodConnex and look forward to our work of 
crushing the stigma around cannabis and caregivers and building this new industry together.